Yeah, for the tape, I'm a little bit late. Just started with the opening prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that once again, as we look at your word, that you will open our hearts and minds, not just to know more of you, but to take it into our hearts and into our lives so that we might be changed from the inside out by the power of your spirit. In your name, amen. Okay, so the Bible and prejudice. It's always good to think when you're starting off something like this to, to define what it is that you're talking about. So uh, let's have a go. Who wants to have a go at what prejudice might mean? Race, colour. Okay, they, they would be forms of prejudice. You're right, Ron. But what, how would you define prejudice? So that, that would be an example of prejudice. But prejudice itself, how would you define it? It's a form of uh, ignorance. A form of ignorance, good. Ignorance could cause prejudice, but again, not the definition of it. It's not liking X, Y, or Z. You, now we're getting warmer. Now we're getting warmer. Okay. I so something with a preformed view, so prejudge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Don't dislike it any, anything different. Okay. Good. We're all. We're, if we put those all things together, we we're just really there. So prejudice is is basically uh, this idea. Of, it's a preconceived uh, notion or bias about something, somebody, or a group of people. Quite often, based on not much knowledge. So in other words, it's a, it's a view that you might form about somebody without even knowing them or having met them. And it's a preconceived one, so you've already decided in advance, okay? So that's virtually what we said. Now, uh, two things I think which you said, Ron, I can't remember what they were. You said racism and colour. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, sort of tangential, but yes. Uh, how many other things can we think of that could be described as being prejudicial or, or areas? Race is the big one, isn't it? Particularly today. Age. Age, yes. Ageism. Gender. Gender, yes. Disability. Disability, yeah, I didn't have that one on there, sorry. I've got absolutely loads, but I, I had excluded that one, but yes, you're right. Religious belief. Religious belief, yes. Sexual orientation. Sexual orientation, yes. Sexuality. Class, Class yes. Class. <laughs> I could speak proper. <laughs> um, anyone? Nationality. Nationality, yes, good. Height, weight. Height and weight, yes. Physical appearance. Physical appearance, yes. That's where you get the idea of fat shaming and things like that. Any form of deformity, really? Yes, yeah, deformity, disability. Could even be a point of view. Oh, it could be a point of view. Yeah, now we're getting there. Good. So, so, so if, you're, if you're religious or not. Or intelligence, maybe? Looking down. Yeah, intelligence. Not yeah, definitely would come into kind of, yes. And, and just to expand on what Ron was saying there, these points of view, it, cultural wars is a very big uh, issue right now. And that's something I'm going to say we're talking about in four weeks' time. So political view as well. That would be a, a, another viewpoint that would potentially be prejudicial. I think, uh, wasn't it the deputy leader of the Tory party said all oh, Tories were scum or something, which uh, I think, you know, it's, it's probably a bit of a strong view and you might argue was somewhat prejudicial, but that would be an example. Okay, so let's quickly run through these. Look, there's not an exclusive list. Uh, interestingly, I put, do you know, pe people often think that prejudice is only negative. It isn't. It isn't. It, how many people here, if they're honest, don't want attractive people to like them? It's the thing we all have, isn't it? 
that when you see someone who's attractive or someone who's famous or someone who's a little bit, some, got some kind of status, you, we can, humanly speaking, be quite positively biased towards them. Yes, or you could be envious. You, oh, well, maybe, yes, envious, but, but definitely positively biased to the extent that you might sort of downplay their, their not-so-good points. Yeah. It, it, prejudice works both ways. You tend to think of it being negative, but as we'll come on to, favouritism, for example... Favoritism is a prejudice. Nationality, race, sex, gender, religion, these are random. Uh, political view, cultural view, vaccination status. <laughs> Here we go, yeah? That's a new one. That's a new one, yeah. Uh, environmental view, yeah? Uh, or it also could be a dietary view, actually. Yes. Um, what else have we got? Attractiveness, age. Sexuality, favoritism. Okay. So that kind of sets the scene. Um, so where does prejudice come from? Us. It comes from us. Yes, but I'm going to. I'll come on to that. I'll come on to that a bit later. But what are the kind of factors that would drive, uh, would, would cause prejudice? Jealousy is one. Yeah, I, that's that's good. I haven't got it, but that's good. The environment we live in. The environment we live in, yes, can be particularly if there's a, if there's an obvious differential in yes. your environment compared to somebody else's environment, that can create uh, issues. Preconceived ideas. Preconceived ideas. Yeah, that you've already. Uh, the, and the, but the, the but the preconceived idea, where does that come from? Where might that come from? Family. Family. Yes, mm-hmm. it might come from your background. Mm-hmm. You might already. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. I've got lots of prejudices. Uh, I know what they are. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but I'll, I'll share a little story in a minute. Okay, um, so where else are we? Uh, other sources of potential prejudice? Friends and colleagues. Yeah, friends and colleagues. Particularly if you, particularly if you want to fit, fit in. You know, with a particular group of people who have a particular view and you're in that particular group, there's a desire to fit in, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And to kind of go along with what it is that they're doing or saying. Uh, what else? Well, how you're taught and what you're taught. How you're taught and what you're taught, yes. Um, uh, sometimes people who teach you can't help but, in the way they teach you, share their own prejudices with you, and that gets in, right? Anything Propaganda. else? Propaganda. Propaganda, yep. Yep, you can be influenced by propaganda. Certainly in wars, people do want to try to do that, don't they? What are the other... Hi, Malcolm. We were just doing the sources of prejudice. And Ron hit the nail on the head, which we're going to later, which is us. But uh, we're we're kind of going a little bit um, further back just to say the kind of uh, sources that might cause us to be prejudiced. And we've already said that prejudice can be both negative and positive. Um, Okay. Uh, Anything else? Well, you know, sort of wanting to be, your neighbour's just got two new cars and, and you're thinking, I'll have two new cars as well. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit, that's, that's like, a wealth, that's like wealth. a wealth prejudice, isn't it, in a sense, as you dislike somebody because uh, they've got more money than you have. Or um, Okay, uh, let's go into this then and have a look at them perhaps in a little bit more detail. So background, we've talked about background, haven't we? And I'm going to tell you a story which, uh, which will expose to you uh, one of my prejudices. Fear, mistrust. Yeah? You know, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Uh, I've got to keep, give myself a distance. Keep myself a distance. Prejudice itself. This is, this is an important one. 
If you have been prejudiced against yourself, you may be, or you're certainly more prone to being prejudiced against the person who's prejudiced to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, so let, let's, let's, take, let's take an example. I'm going to use myself. It's always safer to use yourself, isn't it? Uh, I, I think um, most of you know that I'm mixed race. So I am uh, a quarter Chinese and one-eighth uh, black Caribbean. And, uh, you know, for somebody to... Uh, and at, at times at school, it wasn't great. Not, not so much for me, uh, but more for my brother. Uh, and I was always wading in in some form or other to stop him being called chinky or something, and that you, you definitely didn't want that to happen to you. Uh, it wasn't great. But if it does happen to you, there is a natural feeling inside that you want to be prejudiced against a person who's just been prejudiced yeah. against you. So prejudice itself can be uh, a cause of prejudice. Um, ignorance, misconception. Uh, sometimes that kind of goes in a little bit with fear and mistrust, doesn't it? What else have we got? Uh, I've got this lack of exposure to diverse viewpoints. We, we live in a world that's so polarised now. We live in a world where it's almost like, you know, you've got one tribe stood over there on a cliff, another tribe stood over here on a cliff, shouting at each other, and no one wanting to meet in the middle to talk. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what's happened. The centre ground has been completely vacated, really, with any kind of sensible debate and disagreement, and we can't disagree with each other anymore. We have to shout at each other and call each other names and put ism on the end or, or something of, of what it is our viewpoint happens to be. A desire to fit in, we talked about that. Previous experience. Okay, now let me give you, let me give you an example of how, how subtle this can be. Anybody, uh, anybody here drive a Bentley? I, I took a guess, I took a guess, I took a guess, a wild guess. I took a wild guess that nobody drives a, nobody drives a Bentley. Okay, so let's, let's take... So... Um, Three, three weeks ago, uh, you know, I'm coming into the car park in, in, here in the church and there's a Bentley parked badly. And it's parked, it's parked over two lines, uh, over the line, over the parking line, so that I can't get in. And it's the last par parking space, okay? So I'm thinking, wow, thanks. So then, um, you know, a week later, I'm, I'm, driving down, I'm driving down the road and, you know, the Bentley is across the centre line. And I'm, I'm having to, to almost go into the curb to avoid the Bentley coming down the other side, okay? And then this week, I'm parking, and right next to me, there's this Bentley, and then when I come back to my, to my car, the Bentley's not there, but there's a little mark on my car. Do you know what, you know what happens then, in your mind? Yeah. I'm prejudiced against Bentley drivers. Yeah. So Malcolm gets out of his Bentley, and immediately I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you see how it happens? Yeah, it's, right. it's subtle, isn't it's, it's it? it? It's subtle. You, it, can, it can shape the way that you feel about somebody, even though you don't know them. It doesn't really matter this next guy comes out of the Bentley. I know what you're like. Okay. This is, this is I think, one of the biggest ones, actually. This is it's insecurity, lack uh, of self-esteem. So, so what happens here is that you give yourself self-esteem by trying to catch on to somebody you think has more fame or prestige or value or whatever it is worth than you do, and someone who's below you, you can sometimes, or in your mind is below you, you try to make yourself better by putting them down. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a subtle one, but I think it happens an awful lot. You make yourself feel better by making someone else feel worse. It happens a lot with um, 
those who've got special needs, when we used to take them out, you know, for a trip. I, I clearly remember that our, one of our boys, it was, it was a bit sort of all about itself. He used to throw everything around if he was eating something. Yeah. And this person looked at him and I thought, you say something, mate, and I'm going to be on you. Yes. And you're going to get it double barrel. Yeah. Because he was looking down upon this child as if they shouldn't be in the same restaurant. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, that really I, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute about what, what being prejudiced against makes you feel. Um, but just before we do that, I'm just going to tell you a story which maybe, maybe ties in a, f a few of these. So we're going to go to, we're going to, go to, to background, stroke previous experience, stroke prejudice itself, whatever. Okay, so, um, so my mum was adopted and uh, she grew up in, in a poor family and uh, she was very conscious of, um, she wasn't particularly well educated, but she was an absolutely brilliant mum. And uh, she was very sensitive to people looking down at her, uh, particularly people that she felt um, had a lot of money and were, in her words, posh. And so she shared that with us. It, growing up, it just seemed to think, you know, that posh people were, you, you stayed away from posh people, uh, because they were going to laugh at you or, 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 or whatever it was. And mum persisted in this view for uh, her entire life. Uh, about three years before she passed, we, we took her to Epping. Um, and she got out of the car, looked around, and she said, I don't like this, it's posh, she said. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, thing, the thing with that is it, it, it can kind of, kind of get into you. Uh, and it, I think it also, also aff affected me. Until I got to the point where, and I still have it a little bit, Julie will, Julie will acknowledge that if someone has been to a public school and speaks in a, in a, in a good accent, I, I, have to, I know that there's a natural prejudice in me against that, and I have to be really careful that I don't go to some kind of default that my mum programmed me to have, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. So uh, it was only when probably I got to my 20s that I realised... I'll tell you how bad it was. We had a... Uh, I did double maths at school when the double maths was quite something. There was kind of five of us who did double maths in all of Peterborough and Stamford. Three from my school and uh, a girl came from a, a private school, a private school in Stamford and a girl came from a private school uh, in Peterborough to join the sixth form to do double maths and I was just fuming. There was no way that they were gonna, going, going to do better. As it happens, I finished up being friends with both of them. So to my credit, I was able to see past my prejudice. But it gets you. And it can get under your skin. And it was only you know, when I probably got into my 20s, I realised I was kind of anti anything that was ballet. <laughs> Opera. <laughs> you know, it, that, I, I was a Christian. Don't get me wrong. I did, but you don't realise sometimes, sometimes you, it takes someone to open your my eyes up to this. And, and I realised, hang on a minute, I can't judge something unless I've been. I haven't yet been to a ballet. <laughs> I'm 59, really good, and I haven't been to a, I haven't been to a ballet, uh, but I have been to an opera. Uh, I was uh, I, I was in Vienna on my own once uh, when I was a fund manager, and I thought, well, I just gonna, I got myself a ticket to Vienna Opera House and went. I can't, I can't even remember what it was. I didn't like it, but I went. So at least I can say I don't like it having been. But it just goes to show you how these prejudices can get you, can't you? They're, they're, they're there. What are my other prejudices? You see, the thing with, with, with the prejudice is, is partly being aware of the prejudice, and then uh, at least you can combat them. 
Um, we are going to talk about a little bit later about another way that we might be able to, uh, able to deal with prejudice. A silly prejudice I've got is um, women's names. Now, I've, I, it's only recently that I was actually come, came aware of this. If, if I hear a certain woman's name, I have a view about what they're like. That is just weird. I mean, I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me um, until... I don't know. I don't know whether you guys have that as well. Perhaps. Only no. Men's names, not men's no, just women's names. Julie. Yeah, just. <laughs> Julie. Wow. You know, there we go. <laughs> okay. Well, what? 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 Are, what are my other? What am I? What are my other prejudices? I'll tell you what. We'll do. We'll do some more of those. In, we'll do some more of those in a minute. We'll do some more of those in a minute. Let me ask. You, let me ask you this question then. So. Um, so were you jealous of privilege? I was a bit jealous of privilege. Not, uh, not so much jealous of privilege. I didn't want someone looking down at me. I didn't want, I didn't want someone, someone laughing at me. We, we, also, we were all so poor when, when we grew up. Um, my mother and father divorced when I was 14, and we lived, we grew up in a... Mum brought us up on her own in a council house uh, with, with just three of us. Um, we didn't have any savings. We didn't have any assets. And, you know, I was very conscious that we didn't have any money. Uh, once or twice someone said at school, but never again, uh, about um, the fact that my trousers were too short because we couldn't really afford to get them. And I remember getting school dinner tickets, and that wasn't a great thing. Mm-hmm. And whenever there was um, any sort of uh, school trip, I never, I never bought the thing back because I didn't want to embarrass mum because I knew she couldn't afford it. So, um, so as far as mum was concerned, there weren't, weren't any school trips. But, yeah, so I, I guess I was probably a little bit... I'm a little bit little bit sensitive to that and I, I shouldn't be it's wrong I'm not justifying it I am not standing here and justifying my prejudice and saying they're okay I'm just saying where, where they come from and they can be quite strong can't they um, okay so oh no wait I was gonna ask you yeah so um, hands up those of you who think that other people are prejudiced <laughs> Okay, hands up those of you who think that you are prejudiced. Okay, all right, well, all right. Uh, how many of you think it's harder to spot your own prejudice than it is to see someone else's? <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, kind of Jesus hinted at that, didn't he? He said, he said look, what were you doing with that speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own? Okay, so let's have a, let's have, let's have a look. What comes next? Is all prejudice sin? Question mark. Not all of it. Okay, what, what, what wouldn't be sin and why? Well, I suppose if you had a, a prejudice towards a group, but you still communicated with them, but not confronted them with your prejudice and walked away from that and perhaps gained some more knowledge from it, you initially went there thinking, yeah, I'm not going to like this lot at all. I'm going to really rip yeah. into them. But they started talking back and you're thinking, no, they've got a point. I'm coming down the wrong track. Okay. Okay. Well, that would be a kind of a revelation of, of, of a sin and therefore a change of, a change of view. But I, I take your point, Ron. There is a there is a little bit of, there is a little bit of a subtlety. Which... Sin, yeah, it's all prejudice is sin because I think it makes us feel inferior because you're looking down on someone, and if you think of thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, then you're looking down on that person. Then you're not 
living up to your Christian faith, are you? I think I think you're you're both right. I certainly hold hold the view. I think that you might be able to argue there are shades of grey at the margin, but fundamentally, all prejudice is sin, and this is why. I'm just about to try and click my slide forward with the recorder. It hasn't worked yet. Um, okay, so it, it's because we bestow upon ourselves the following rights. Okay, this is the first right. We bestow upon ourselves. So in other words, we give ourselves the right to be the yardstick, the reference point by which other people's values, opinions, beliefs, and differences are measured. Okay? So we say uh, it's all about the difference between what my view is. My view is reasonable, isn't it? My view is sensible. I have got uh, a very uh, finely uh, tuned sense of fairness. Uh, you sit there in the middle and you basically make yourself the reference point for everybody else. Okay? And, and so, the, so what you're looking at here is you're looking at the difference of somebody else from what? From you. You have just made yourself the yardstick, the, 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 the reference point by which everybody else's behaviours and views and opinions are to be judged. Yeah? Normally called the BBC. <laughs> yeah, we won't go to that now. Okay, therefore, the, therefore the, opinion, the opinion of ourselves is high. Uh, let's have a look at Romans 3, 12 verse 3. So we start to feed in a little bit about what the Bible says. Romans 12, verse 3. It comes after Romans 12, 1 and 2. 1 and 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2 are really famous and deep Bible verses. I once did a six-week Bible study on the first two verses. Romans 12, 3. Anyone want to read that? It's really just the first part of it. But anyway, Romans 3, 12, 3. Mm. Somebody got that? Oh, I'm sorry, Pauline. Uh, let me. Can someone shout the page out if they're using the church Bible? One one three nine. If you could just ha- hold off reading for a second, please. Sorry, Pauline, my mistake. Faye's going to read in one second. Was it one one three nine? Yeah. Have you got that, Pauline? I'll tell you what, Pauline. I'll find more verses. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Thank you. Okay, so, Faye, could you read the verse, please? And by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself as kindly than you do. That's fine, thanks, Faye. Think of yourself with sober judgment in the Thanks, Faye. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Okay, what else do we bestow upon ourselves? We bestow upon ourselves the right to decide should those differences between someone else and us be significant enough to us that that someone or some groups is either more or less worthy than we are. And we become biased for one and against the other. Okay, so if someone isn't very different from you, it probably isn't going to create 
any kind of bias or potential prejudice in you. If someone is quite a bit different from you, you then measure that difference compared to your own perception of yourself and you consider whether that difference is in a person who is more worthy or is in a person who is less worthy than you, you being the reference point, of course. And if it's a less worthy person, you're prejudiced against them. And if it's a more worthy person, you're prejudiced for them. Does that make sense? So you're basically looking up and down. So you're looking at you, Pauline, and you're, you're saying, and you meet someone who's you've never met before, uh, or maybe you haven't even met them. So let's supposing I tell you that um, an American is coming over, uh, a middle-aged American is coming over to uh, speak to you tomorrow. You may already have some kind of view about what to expect, either positive or negative, depending perhaps on your previous views about what you've had about Americans. And now I were to tell you that this, is a, this American is very wealthy uh, and this American is very famous. Suddenly, potentially, you're changing your viewpoint about what to expect in advance of the person coming without even meeting them. Can you see, if I told you that that person uh, was, uh, had just come out of prison, suddenly you're in a different place, aren't you? Yeah. you're, you're already not taking a view on the person, having met them and deciding for yourself you've already had a positive or negative bias based on what you know you or you think you know about them, even though you haven't met them. Does that make sense? Well, the prison one's a lot stronger. The prison one's, yeah. I'm just using... <laughs> I'm just using maybe hyperbolic language for effect. Okay, so... Um, so, therefore, we, we kind of create this hierarchy with us as a reference point. It, we, the English are very bad at this. When you, you see, you come into a conversation with somebody, uh, you know, in a, at a party or something, very, very quickly, you're into, what, is, what job did you, do you do? Or maybe, what, where do you live? Or, what school do you go to? Or, what car do you drive? Why do we do that? Because we're trying to put ourselves somewhere in this, in this strata, right? We're trying to, okay, where are you relative to me? This, this is what we're doing, but the relative is to me. This is that not that's generally the British way, isn't it? That's the way our society is. It is. Good. It's because, particularly in a, in a society like uh, like the, an English society where it's quite class driven, those those at the top are, are very very keen that everybody else knows their place. And that's how it has been historically. I'm pleased to say that this country now is much more of a meritocracy. When I first went into the city, when was that, 96? So I went uh, and I left, uh, left the Air Force then and I joined the city. The city was still full, not full, of... of, uh, of there was still a pre prevailing old boys network. So it mattered what school you went to, what tie you wore. Uh, lots of people in the city then had spent five years in the army on a short commission and then got a job as a, as a stockbroker. And of course, you know, it was, yeah, I kept drifting into this kind of posh voice. And, you know, I, I, you want to fight against that. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased to say now, at least the, the city when I left and the company that I worked for was much more of a meritocracy. It didn't really matter where you came from. It didn't really, it just mattered if you were any good at your job or could be potentially good at your job. Okay. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about being biased towards um, uh, someone who's, who's uh, in this case, 
It's the rich and the poor and the foreigner. So we've got three verses here that we can look at. So James chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Somebody could do that, please. And somebody else do Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. And someone else do Deuteronomy 1, verse 16 to 15. And I will find you one of those verses. No worries. No worries. Don't find them all, just find one. Okay, so um, could somebody read the James verse, please? James verse says. I'll do that. Okay, thank you, Brenda. Um, what was it, James 2 and 5? Yeah. Okay, favouritism forbidden. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favouritism. If a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and clean clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? Good. So James is saying that be neither prejudiced towards the rich or against the poor. Don't be, pre- don't be prejudiced at all. Don't show favouritism. Okay? Uh, I think the next verse, certainly the Leviticus 19.15, sometimes we think that it's okay to be prejudiced for the poor. Now there's a difference between helping the poor and having a heart for the poor and serving the poor and being prejudiced for the poor. This is what the Bible says. Leviticus 19.15. Can someone read that? Okay, Ron's got it. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. No, I think Leviticus 19, 15. Unless I've got the verse wrong, I think it's... Do not make different kinds of animals. (laughs) We had that discussion in our group this morning, didn't we, Ron? (laughs) Do not... Justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Yeah, do not show partiality to the poor. When God says when we judge, you, you, you judge, you, you treat people exactly equally. You'd want that in a court, wouldn't you? Um, okay, Deuteronomy uh, 1 verses 16 to 17. And I charge your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly, whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreign foreigner residing among you. Do not show partiality in judging, they are both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. 
Okay. That's fine. That's fine. So what it was, what it's saying here is that if if uh, if your Israelites are judging between an Israelite and an Israelite, they're to judge exactly the same if they're judging between with, between an Israelite and a foreigner. Okay. So no. So there's there's no nationality prejudice. So talking on subjects of, of nationality prejudice, um, I, I definitely in myself is any. Oh, be careful. <laughs> I, I do, and, and we'll, co- we'll, come on, we'll come on to it. You just have to be really careful with stereotypes. Uh, and and we're, we're coming on to this in a minute. I, I have been to America, I've been to New York 22 times on business. So I've been to America a few, time, few enough times, I think. I'm not a great lover, generally, of the Americans and the American way of life. And I... I am aware of that and I have to be very conscious that I don't put that onto an individual. Does, does, does that make sense? We'll, 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 come, we'll come on to that. I don't know if you saw the... Uh, has anyone been watching uh, Around the World in 80 Days? Yeah. Has anyone been seeing that? Well, there's a scene... That, <laughs> there's a scene in the... Uh, when they're in the... They're riding through the Midwest in... Um, a carriage, a carriage pulled, a stagecoach that's been pulled by horses, and they're having a conversation. And um, uh, the Phineas Fogg, who's travelling around the 80 days, is sat next to his French companion, travelling companion, Passepartout. And uh, the guy is the American guy across has been surprised that the English is, guy is travelling with a French person, and and he said he's French, but you English don't like the French. And, and then sort of uh, Phyllis Fogg looks at him with this kind of quizzical look and he said, uh, yes, but not individually. <laughs> that is all that's been worded that way, particularly for that. Yeah, it was just clever. I thought it was kind of... I think sometimes that, that, that's what they, they're trying to purvey. But it's round the wrong way, really. Uh, it wouldn't have happened had they been in their stagecoach. No, there were a number of things that yeah, have, have poetic licence, etc., etc. But I thought that was a particular, pretty funny line. Raise the laugh. Okay, so, and, th- and thirdly and finally, we, have the, we give ourselves the right to decide. So we bestow ourselves, we're giving ourselves this. No one else is giving this, we're giving our, our, ourselves this. Because we rate our opinion highly, that our biases are fully justified, and that the people or people groups concerned deserve... Whatever our opinion or judgment of them is. Okay, one of the things about prejudice, and I think, I'm just trying to think, uh, you guys may have a different view. I'm, I've been a Christian quite a long time. I don't think I've ever heard anyone to teach directly on prejudice. Now, correct me if I, I'm, I'm wrong, but I think this is an absolutely massive scenario that we don't really focus on. And one of the, the very dangerous things about prejudice is that we self-justify. So whatever prejudice or biases you have, quite often you think that there's a very good reason why you have them. And because you think you have a good reason for your prejudices, they are blooming hard to change. Really hard to change. They can be quite... And you then start to... You feel justified that what you feel about somebody else is right. 
And then you start using words like, so let's go back to the Bentley driver, okay? So, I, I, so all these things have happened to me with these three Bentley incidences. And then I go down the pub uh, and I'm speaking to my mate and I say, oh, I tell you, can't believe what's happened with these, uh, these guys who've been driving this Bentley. Bentley drivers, he says. I had the same thing happen to me. Oh, I hate Bentley drivers. And then, and then you're in the same, you're joining in. Oh, yeah, I hate them too. If I, it, it shouldn't allow people to buy Bentleys. Uh, you see what it is? Yeah. And, and, suddenly, and suddenly Bentley did drivers deserve this, that and the other. And your opinion, it's all justified because of what's happened to you. Yeah? yeah. I, I'm, I'm being a little bit flippant, but hopefully you can take from the flippant example something serious. <coughs> so therefore to us, you know, our prejudices are not only reasonable, they're fully justified. And, and let's just look at this. So, so somebody could do Luke chapter 16, verse 22. And then the second verse is a little bit tenuous, but we're going to do it. Luke 16, 22. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Does somebody read them? Um, if some, oh, I'm sorry, Pauline. Oh, you're perfect. You're in 1 Samuel. You're in 2 Samuel. No, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Just back a little bit. Sixteen verse seven. Okay, can somebody do Luke sixteen twenty-two? Okay, Paul's got it. Oh, sorry, Mick. Mick's got it. Sorry. No, you did. You did push up. You sounded like Mr. Curry. <laughs> <laughs> the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also whoa, died. Whoa. Oh, I must have got something wrong. Is that is that what Luke sixteen twenty two says? Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. No. What, I, the, what the verse should have said it was it was when uh, the, the, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees about their love of money. Uh, I've clearly got the verse wrong. Uh, and Jesus is basically saying, you self-justify yourself, you justify yourselves before men. So Paul is, uh, so Jesus is challenging the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because uh, uh, Jesus was exposing their love of money. And he, he was saying, don't justify, you're justifying yourself. This is, this is, uh, this is one, I think, of the, of the greatest little subtle sins that we have, is that we kind of excuse ourselves uh, views that we that we have that might not uh, be consistent with the Bible. So I do that at least once. I was uh, in a previous in a, in a previous church. I was notorious for having at least one of those wrong. So this is the one out of the way, hopefully for tonight. Uh, one one Samuel one Samuel verse sixteen uh, and seven. Hopefully this one's right. If this one isn't talking about um, man's appearance, then I've got it badly wrong, and that will be two in a row. <laughs> Can somebody read 1 Samuel 16, verse 7? Okay, thanks, Gav. Okay, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, so it's not, it's not what it appears to be. It's not how we justify ourselves. God sees through the heart. And this is where 
Samuel was, um, God has basically uh, asked Samuel to anoint um, Israel's new king after Saul had basically um, let go of the Lord. Um, and the Lord let go of Saul. And um, um, Jesse's sons uh, are, are kind of brought before Samuel. Uh, and Samuel is thinking to himself, ah, oh, Eliab, I think his name was, uh, he's a fine looking lad, this is the one. Uh, and the Lord said, no, no, not him. Don't judge by outside appearance. I see the heart. And it, so he went all the way down to the younger son, who was David, who then was anointed, uh, who then was anointed king. Okay. Right. This is my conclusion. My conclusion is, is that all prejudice is sin because in being prejudiced, we are making ourselves God. When you make yourself the reference point, when you give yourself the right to decide where others are compared to you, and when you bulletproof yourself by justifying your own opinions, you are essentially making yourself God. The first one is the key one. As soon as you make yourself a yardstick, in the, the key to a lot of understanding a, a lot of what's going on today uh, with regard to right and wrong and good and evil is an understanding of something called an ontic reference point. And we've done this on the, on, on the Monday group. An ontic reference point is an independent yardstick by which things can be measured. Okay, so let's take, for example... I can't think of I can't see This door, let's take, let's take this door, okay? Uh, how big is this door? Now, if I were to say how big th- this door is without some kind of yardstick... It would be very hard for me to take away and accurately describe to somebody else, wouldn't it? It'd be okay for us here in the room because I could say this door is you know, quite a bit bigger than the Bible, this Bible maybe you know, seven or eight times, or I could say, compared to me, it's about the same height. But you're into this relative, aren't you? And uh, that's what happens. When, when we take away God as the ontic reference point, as the yardstick for good and evil, for right and wrong and bestow it upon ourselves, we make ourselves God. That's what's happening in our culture today. Our culture is saying, there is no God, we are the top of the tree, therefore we decide right and wrong. And the problem when you try to decide right and wrong without an ontic reference point, without an independent yardstick, so the ontic reference point here would be a ruler. Right? Once I decide, once we all decide what a metre is, we roughly have a metre in our heads and I can go halfway across the world and say to somebody, there's a door in our church that's about two metres tall by about 70.7 of a metre wide, roughly. Can't I? Because I've got an ontic reference point. You take the ontic pre- reference point away and you're completely lost. It's exactly what's happening in our world today. When we make ourselves God, we commit the first sin. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Also, what is the first commandment? Does anyone remind me what the first commandment is? Oh, good. Two. You have no other gods before me. You're both right. Uh, Pauline, Pauline was using this, the, the summary of, of the Ten Commandments, which Jesus gave, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That summarizes the first four of the, of the ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Um, sorry, love your neighbor as yourself. Summarizes the next six. So Pauline was right in that. But Malcolm got the, the, the classic answer, which is that in the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments is um, 
You shall have no other gods before me. Who do a lot of people have as God before God? Themselves. 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 Let's go to Genesis chapter Genesis chapter three, verse five. The reality of it is, is all of us kind of would like to be God. Be the ones who decide, be the ones to whom people refer, to be the ones from whom people make measurements. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, could somebody read that please? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeah, so uh, this is the, the serpent, the devil, talking to Eve, and he's saying, uh, tempting Eve to eat of the uh, fruit. It's not wasn't an apple, it's a fruit of the tree uh, of knowledge of, uh, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. And the temptation is for not only to be like God, but to be God. That is the Whenever we find ourselves in situations when we are essentially putting ourselves in God's position, that's what we're doing. And you know I've said to you before that very, very subtly, we do that too as Christians. We go through the Bible and we look at something and we go, wouldn't do that. Oh, that's not fair. Oh, that's a bit harsh. If it was up to me, I'd do it differently. Every time you do that, what are you doing? Playing God. Making yourself God. That is, that, is the, that is the thing that the devil wants, us, wants to get us all with, is to enthrone ourselves and not the one who is worthy. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so, so what have we got? So let's say that, so you, the unprejudiced sit in the middle. Okay, I don't think there's many people who actually sit there... Uh, and then we have positive prejudice on your left-hand side and negative prejudice on the right-hand side. Quite often, prejudice starts with this dangerous little thing called stereotype. Okay? Um, it, it's kind of like... So, I also travelled to Germany a lot, and I lived in Germany for, uh, for three years. Uh, and when I was in the Air Force, I was based... I flew tornadoes out of there, um, and I flew from uh, Germany in the... Uh, was based in Germany when I went to the first Gulf War. I love Germany. Uh, I love the Germans. Um, but it would be true as a generalisation that the Germans are very obedient to rules. Um, they don't really have a concept of jaywalking. I mean, we do it here. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a gap in the traffic and you're not at the zebra crossing and you just go across. German wouldn't do that. They'd, they'd walk to the zebra crossing and they'd press the button and they'd wait until it was time to cross. If you take your car uh, to a garage in Germany and they say it will be fixed by five o'clock, it will be fixed by five o'clock. There are certain generalisations that, that certain nations have, but the danger is, is that when you then take that generalisation, whether it be good or whether it be bad, and you put it onto an individual, that's when you start to come into prejudice because you have depersonalised somebody because they're no longer a person, they're a stereotype. You know, I, as, I said to you as I said to you before, you know, I'm, 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 I'm mixed race. And when, when, I, when I grew up, people were always kind of asking me, are you Chinese? And I used to hate to answer that question because I didn't think it was relevant. 
I just wanted them to either like me or not like me for me. And, uh, and I think that's what happens, isn't it? When someone doesn't like you simply because of your, your, a, a characteristic that is almost something that you can't help. That's when it, 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 can, it really kind of quite hurts, doesn't it? Um, really, I don't mind somebody not liking me, but at least have the decency to get to know me first. Uh, and also, equally, I think we mustn't fall into a danger that just because somebody likes you, dislikes you, they're prejudiced against you. Um, I never really thought that. But there is a danger, isn't there, that you, you feel so sensitive to being prejudiced that, you, that somebody couldn't possibly not like you for you, they have to not like you for that characteristic. So, th- so when you take away someone's... When they stop becoming a person, that's, it, it, it hurts. Yeah. It, it hurts. So, you know, suddenly somebody, you know... I can't figure out, I think we're a good example. But you, it, when someone takes away you as an individual and you just become... Uh, a description of yourself, it hurts. Worse still, and, and it can happen. It can happen on the uh, on the plus side too. Uh, you, somebody's somebody's famous. You, you see this with young people, and I have to say, you see it in church. There, just as there are famous people in the secular world, there are famous people in the church, and these famous people, over on the positive side. Suddenly, the things they say don't get checked as much as what other people say. Oh, and so-and-so's brought out a book, it's a great book. Is it? it you start to have a, a, a positive view just because someone is famous or someone is well-known. When you're in that situation or someone is attractive or someone is... You are much more likely to downplay the negative characteristics and magnify the positive characteristics. If you take that to... It's fullest extent over this side. It's almost like you deify somebody. Yeah, it's, it's down. That's, that's a human trait. It is a human trait. I mean, you look at foot, look at pop stars, football players. You, we the, there's almost adulation, isn't it? There's an idolization that goes on, and that's at the that's, that's at the other end of this is prejudice too. Right here, um, you, you start to favoritism is also. A prejudice. You see the the problem that favoritism causes in the Bible. Let's take, for example, uh, Joseph. You know, Joseph. Joseph was a, a, a favourite of his father Jacob for two reasons. Uh, the Bible says one is because he was born to uh, Rachel, uh, who was, excuse me, he had four wives. Uh, he was married to Leah, and he was married to a younger sister Rachel, and also to their maidservants Zilpah and Bilhah. And uh, those four ladies had the twelve, had twelve sons who became the twelve uh, tribes of Israel. And uh, Rachel, Jacob worked seven years to win Rachel's hand, but when he uh, on the wedding day, uh, their uh, father Laban swapped Rachel and Leah. So he finished up marrying Leah. He was tricked into marrying Leah and then had to work, uh, then was allowed to marry Rachel but had to work for another seven years. It was Rachel was the one that he really loved. And Joseph was the son of Rachel. And secondly, the Bible tells us that, um, that Joseph was a favourite of Jacob's because he was born to Jacob in his old age. Now, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, by the way. That's just why we get this, the 12 uh, sons of uh, Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. 
but that, that caused an issue, didn't it? Because you know, later on in his life, if uh, Joseph from the Technicolor Dreamcoat, for those who uh, might want to remember this a different way, the, he, his father showed favoritism to, to, to Joseph, and Joseph also had these dreams from God, which which told Joseph that he was going to be significant and important in the future. But it created a lot of tension because the brothers were jealous of Joseph because he was their father's favourite. It created a, a, a lot of problems. Okay, so let's come over. Let's come over to, to this side now. Is is that I think you could see you can see some of this in some of the the most. Um, most egregious incidents in history if you take for example the holocaust once you take away not only were the jews depersonalized they had numbers when you put a number on somebody and you take away their name you have depersonalized somebody and then when you say that that number has no value has no worth you then dehumanize somebody and it's so much more it's so much easier to kill somebody or to do something nasty to somebody or to say something or if you don't consider them to be human. This is, this is what happens when a prejudice gets it out of control. But it starts here. It starts here in this stereotype. So if you're wanting to think about ways of, of, of guarding against becoming prejudiced, try not to stereotype people or groups. Uh, and... And from that, certainly don't stereotype an individual. Get to know them first. Okay. What have we got now? Jesus and prejudice. Okay. Jesus at the woman and the woman at the well. So we can look at these up independently. So somebody can do John 4 verse 38. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Luke 19... Verse 1 to 9. Jesus and the calling of Levi. Jesus and the woman of ill repute. Yeah, this is interesting. Jesus travels to the uh, Decapolis and to Tyre and Sidon. So, uh, I can't draw this. This is the Dead Sea here. And this is the Sea of Galilee, connected by the River Jordan. Okay. The Decapolis was an area to the southwest, ten cities, to the area of the southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And Tyre and Sidon were two cities on the coast uh, to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee. The people who lived there were predominantly Gentiles. Jesus travelled there to tell them the good news. Something that would have been quite unusual for a rabbi in those days to have travelled to somewhere where it wasn't predominantly a Jewish population. Jesus, and and as we see these, we will see that Jesus challenges his prejudices. He breaks them down, steps over, and in doing so, asks us to do the same in our time and place. So we'll just have a look at these, and then we'll have a, a look at what I think is probably the greatest story about prejudice in the Bible that doesn't always get told that way. Okay, so John 4 verse, John 4 verse 38. Can somebody do that one, please? Sent, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have 
done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. I don't think I'm having I'm not having a good day. I'm not having a good day. It's John chapter 3, isn't it? No? It's John 4. It's John 4. 38. I know my eyes are bad. Ah, okay. John 4, 38. No, I'm too far. Well, it's John 4, actually. It's not a particular verse. It's, it's, it's fine. Sorry, Ron. It's not a particular verse. It's rather, it's rather the story of, of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Why was, why was this shocking? Uh, for a number of reasons, really. Um, it was shocking because uh, Jews weren't supposed to speak to Gentiles. Certainly a Jewish man wasn't supposed to speak to a woman uh, on his own. And furthermore, because, because of what this woman had done, it was even more uh, of, of a thing for Jesus to step over. The fact that Jesus was here at all, was actually uh, quite interesting because, and we'll come on to this in the story that I'm going to tell you later, but in the Bible, if you were a Jewish man, you had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. There were three festivals that you had to go to Jerusalem for. The first festival was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where for seven days the Jewish people lived in tents to remind themselves of um, the time that they lived in tents when they came out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. The second uh, festival that a man, a Jewish man had to go to Jerusalem for was the Feast of the Passover, which was uh, what, uh, what Jesus celebrated with his disciples just before his crucifixion. Now the Jews had um, two festivals that related to harvest. The first one was the ingathering, and the ingathering happened one day after the Sabbath Passover, and then seven weeks after that you had the Festival of Weeks. So that's where you get the 50 days of Pentecost. So the, the one day uh, after the Passover for the, uh, the ingathering, so that's the the first harvest, the very first thing that was harvest would be harvested would be celebrated. And then our equivalent harvest festival would be the Feast of Weeks. That's why there were so many Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem at the time of um, uh, when we see the, the Holy Spirit come uh, on the day of Pentecost. That's why they were there. They were there to celebrate uh, the Feast of Weeks. And, and so if you lived in Galilee, so I'm sorry, I should have got a map. Sea of Galilee. If you live around the Sea of Galilee, and, and then you've got, um, uh, you've got down here, you've got the Dead Sea and the River Jordan. Jerusalem was down here, just kind of off the Dead Sea. And in those days, the, the Jewish people, a lot of Jewish people lived here, and a lot of Jewish people lived around uh, the Sea of Galilee. In between was Samaria. And as we'll come on to later, if you were Jewish, you didn't really want to go through there. Because you didn't like the Samaritan people. So if you were a, a Jew in the north and you had to go to Jerusalem, you would go the long way round. So you would come south-west to the River Jordan. You'd come all the way down the River Jordan. And then you'd go across through Jericho. We'll come on to this. Through Jericho into Jerusalem. You would go a long way out of your way to not go through Samaria. Okay? So... Jesus is going through Samaria. He meets a woman who's a Gentile 
and a woman, I think, that it says later on has been married five times, and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. She goes to the well at 12 o'clock, the heat of the day, to avoid the shame and scorn that other people put on her, and she meets Jesus. Um, next one, sorry, that was a long explanation, but it, it, it's relevant for what's coming later. Um, Jesus and Zacchaeus, okay, so uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. For those on the Monday group, and there's four of you here, lovely to see you guys. We, um, we did this today, didn't we? We did, we were talking about Jesus uses hyperbole uh, to, uh, which is exaggerated language for effect. Uh, and we were looking at uh, Jesus saying that uh, you've got to hate your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your children. Uh, uh, if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple. And we were just basically saying that that was hyperbolic language, that Jesus was using for effect. He was not actually saying that literally. He was just uh, kind of being very melodramatic in order to, to, to have effect. And just before the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus also uses hyperbolic language when he says, it's easier for a rich man to pass through, uh, for, sorry, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. So Jesus, again, is using hyper, hyperbolic language. He's, he's kind of using a, a, a great example for effect. He's saying it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is Luke chapter 18. What happens in Luke 19? A rich man enters the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Luke 19, verse, uh, verses 1 to 9. Can somebody read that, please? A man was there by the name of the bride. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he took up and said to him, Zacharias, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and once, at once and was welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacharias stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Great, thanks Mick. And I'm sure many of you know that in those days tax collectors were were really considered to be the lowest of the low, in the sense that they were considered to be traitors. Uh, they were Jewish, but they worked for the Roman oppressors. And not only did they collect the taxes that they ought to collect, they, they collected taxes that they ought not to have collected. Uh, and they basically aligned their own pockets at the expense of their country, countrymen whilst working for the occupying force. Uh, and Jesus was a respected rabbi. I mean, even the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes who were attacking him didn't question his teaching credentials and for a respected rabbi to go and have uh, into the house of sinners people who uh, were discriminated against by the religious elite and looked down upon was, uh, was a, a cultural shattering thing to do he also did the same interestingly Matthew who was called Levi the same thing happened when he called Levi he went to 
uh, B, um, he went to the house and celebrated with what was called sinners. Jesus had a tax collector, a former tax collector, as a disciple. Sometimes I think we, we tend to think that um, they're all fishermen and everything was okay. I think this would have been quite scandalous, to be honest, that Jesus had a tax collector as a, as a, as a disciple. The woman of ill repute, okay, um, Quite often, I think this is kind of a myth. Maybe it comes from Bible tradition. Maybe Malcolm can add something to it. But um, you hear quite a lot of times that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. I I don't read that anywhere. Um, You know, people think that this 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 woman in the story here uh, was Mary Magdalene, but I I don't quite know where that comes from. Maybe there's something outside of the Bible, but. uh, as far as I know, there's no, there's no connection between Mary of Magdalene and this woman. But let's have a quick look. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 48. And then we'll look at probably the most famous passage of all on prejudice. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating in the house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt counselled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, <coughs> your sins are forgiven. Thanks, Kate. I love that story. Just love that story. Um, so the story, the story is making the claim that if Jesus knew what this woman was like, he wouldn't let her touch him. He didn't care. He saw. He, he didn't see what she'd done or what she had supposedly done. He saw her. That's what we're asked to do. Is we're always asked to see the person, and we'll come on to that uh, when I conclude. So, what is the most famous story about prejudice in the Bible? It's this. Let's go there, and I'll try and explain why. So, Luke chapter ten. Verses 25 to 37. So if you could go there, and if you could keep your... Let's see if I can help you. 
So Luke chapter 10, and you're going to need to keep your finger there, because we, we need to do a little bit of a history lesson to make sense of this. You see, the more I, the more I think about the parables that Jesus told, when you're making up from your own imagination something that is going to illustrate a story or a point that you want to make, so, the way to think about uh, the way to think about uh, a, a fable, it's a kind of a, a, a story uh, with a, um, an earthly story with a moral meaning. A parable uh, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And um, Jesus uh, spoke in parables. And in uh, looking at the, the parable of the Great Samaritan, oh, okay, let's go, let's go back. Let's go back. Before we, do the, before we do the actual parable, I want to give some history. When Jesus tells a parable, he doesn't... The more I think about it, the more I've looked at the parables, he doesn't choose things at random. He, he could have chosen things at random, but I don't think he did. If we think a little bit more about some of the parables and the characters that he chooses and the settings that he chooses, we can see that for his audience, some of the parables that he told would have been completely inflammatory. This parable here is one of them. And, and let's, let's investigate why. So who has Jesus got as the characters? In the characters in this story, there are essentially four. Who are the characters? Four? <laughs> yeah, four. <laughs> who, are, who are the characters? The Samaritan. The Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. Yep. Okay. And they've got the beggar. So, priest. The priest, good. Got a priest? Levi. Uh, a, a, be- a beggar or. No, no, a beggar. It was the traveller who was attacked. Levite. A Levite and the guy who was attacked. The traveller the who was attacked. It, it wasn't specific in the Bible, but we can reasonably assume that this was a Jewish man. Okay, so we've got. Uh, we've got a Jewish man, we've got a priest, we've got a Levite, both of them would have been Jewish, and we've got a Samaritan. Okay, let's dwell a little bit on this, on, on this issue of Samaritan. Let's, no, let's go to the passage, Luke chapter 10. So if someone could, could kick, kick that off then, Luke, Luke chapter 10 from Bingley. Let's read the whole thing. After this, the Lord appointed several uh, seventy-two others and sent them. Hang on, I think that's 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 seventeen. If you could jump to twenty-five, twenty-five. Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, but... He wanted to justify himself, so 
he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, we'll stop there just for a little bit of... Do you remember I was talking about just now about if you were a Jewish man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho, you may have been travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho to avoid what? The Samaritans. You were doing this route to avoid Samaritans, to avoid going through Samaria. Suddenly, the, suddenly this parable takes a different twist, doesn't it? it? It takes a different twist. Okay, let's go a little bit further. 31, Ron, or someone else? 31? I've got Too busy listening. 31. Yeah. Here it is. Oh, I'm on Jonah. <laughs> you're on Jonah? No, you're definitely in the wrong place. That's two weeks' time. <coughs> just trying to find 31. Well, my eyes are not that good these days. Okay, can someone pick up? Someone help Ron out. A, okay. A priest happened to be going down the same road and... When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Okay, let's stop there. So from the man, from the point of view of a Jewish man who was attacked, do you think in terms of prejudice, he would have been positively, previous to this, positively or negatively prejudiced towards the priest and the Levite? Positive, 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 probably positively. Yeah. There were people that you would look up to in society that you would think would come to help you when you were in need, right? And what happens? So, did Jesus choose a priest and a Levite? Jesus, when you're using your imagination to tell a story, he hasn't chosen the priest and the Levite randomly. Do you see, do you see how offensive this has already been to a Jewish listener? Already been to potentially to the man to whom the story is told? Already he set a story where somebody is going uh, uh, on a route to potentially avoid Samaritans. And then the respectable uh, part of society are the ones who walk by. Yeah. Already this parable is starting to get a little bit, a little bit interesting. Let's, go, let, let's move further on. Verse, <coughs> verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he travelled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Okay, let's stop, let's stop there. And let's jump to two kings. Two kings. This is why, we need to do a bit of history. Why did the Jewish people really, really not like Samaritans? So let's go back to uh, two kings, chapter 17, verse 24 to 41. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. Was it a Samaritan to Gentile? Yes. yes. So we'll see why when we look a little bit. Two kings. Yeah, two kings, 17 verse, verse um, 24. 
Before we read this, we probably just need to do a, a little bit of history. So if you could try and stay with me for, for this part. So the Israelites move into the promised land. Moses doesn't take them in, but Joshua takes them in. And then for a period of about 325 years or so, they're ruled by judges. Twelve different judges uh, over different periods of time. Um, the Israelites move far away from God. God call, they, they cry out for God, God's help. God raises up a judge. Judge gives them military deliverance. Typically, there's a period of peace. Things are okay. The judge dies. And then Israelites go back into the same um, sliding back loop. Same call for repentance. Same help from God. And then so that goes on. We then come into the first king of Israel, Saul. So Israel at this point is one country. The first king of Israel, Saul. Second king of Israel, David. Third king of Israel, Solomon. So we're down, down now to about 950 BC. Because Solomon had a, a number of foreign wives who took Solomon away from God. I think he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, which is quite a lot. And they, they, took, they took Solomon away from God. And because of that, God said to Solomon, I'm going to split the kingdom. So what is a united country with 12 tribes now becomes two countries. One called Israel with 10 tribes and the other called Judah with two tribes. And they then have concurrent histories where in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, we have the stories of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the kings... Uh, uh, of the southern kingdom. In fact, there were 20 kings in the northern kingdom, 19 and one queen in the, in the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom had an unbroken line, the southern kingdom of Judah. But they were both separate countries and they were taken into captivity at different times by different nations. The first country to be taken into captivity was the northern kingdom, Israel, who was taken into captivity by... Um, uh, Shalmaneser of the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. Okay, don't worry, don't worry, the dates aren't important. They're, they're taken into captivity by the Assyrians, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom managed to stay independent for quite a bit longer until it was taken into captivity by the Babylonians in 586. 722, the Assyrians take the, um, the northern kingdom, Israel, into captivity. The Assyrian principle of putting back people was to mix them up. It's a kind of divide and rule approach. So let, let's have a look at that. So uh, 2 Kings chapter 17 verses uh, 24 to, to 41. So somebody perhaps who hasn't read before and would like to, could someone read that? The king of Assyria called people from Babylon and Hamath, Sorry, Paul. I've stitched you here, haven't I? You should have put the white ones on. and uh, and settled them in the town of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship uh, the Lord. So he, so he sent home, uh, sent lines among them, and they killed some of the people. 
It was reported to the king of Syria. The people you de deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lines among them which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Syria gave his order, make one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Yeah. and taught them how to worship the Lord. Okay, thanks Paul. So, and that, that chapter basically goes on to say that, so, they, so when the Assyrians put people back into Israel, they didn't put just the Israelites back, they put a whole bunch of other people as well. And it then goes on to say in 2 Kings, uh, in that chapter, um, in, in verse 33, they worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So suddenly what became, what was a pure a nation of pure Jews is now mixed race with mixed beliefs and furthermore the Samaritans believed that the most holy site for the Lord was Mount Gerizim uh, Mount Gerizim was somewhere that um, uh, in the Old Testament in uh, Moses' time curses were read from Mount Ebal blessings were read from Mount Ge um, uh, Gerizim and so the, the, uh, Samar the Samaritans believed that was the most holy place the Jews believed that uh, Jerusalem was the most holy place. There was significant difference between them. And the Jews thought that a, a Samaritan was a second-class citizen. Really would have looked down on a Samaritan. So can you imagine the story? We won't have time to do the, all of the rest of the story. But in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the person who helps is the Samaritan. Can you imagine passing by somebody who hates you? Somebody who looked down on you? And what does the Samaritan do? The Samaritan doesn't see the prejudice that that, person, that has been experienced against. He sees the person. You know, and there's many ways of telling this parable. You know, some people tell it whether the good Samaritan is Jesus. Um, but the, the point of this parable is for the person to whom the parable was told, this was shocking. And I think, it's my personal view, I think Jesus told this parable to that man because he knew he was racist. Because he knew that was his issue. He said, who is my neighbour? As if to justify himself. He'd already done well with his first answer. And now he's trying to sort of add something else. And Jesus has basically revealed his heart. And he reveals his heart by telling him this story. At the end of the story, Jesus asks, and who was the neighbour in the story? The man can't even then say the Samaritan. He says the one who has mercy on him. So I think, for me... This, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I mean, I, you've heard it many times, I've heard it. You could slice it, this parable up in a number of different ways. But I think for me there is, a, uh, there is a prejudice dimension which makes this parable very powerful because Jesus doesn't choose his characters in his parable at random. This was a hand grenade. At that time to tell that parable would be equivalent of pulling a pin out and a hand grenade in the packed room. It, was, it would have been that kind of, uh, kind of spiritual reaction. So let's, uh, let's come into land. How do we change? Okay, so uh, be honest with ourselves. Psalm 129, ask God to search us. 
Okay, when it comes to prejudice, we need to be honest with ourselves, but sometimes we can't do it because you know, we've justified our own positions and it's hard to see our own blind spots. So let's ask the, the Lord to do it. Let go. Let go of whatever it is you're holding on to. Let go of your self-justifications. And then always, always, always repent. If you need to say sorry for prejudices that you hold against other people, whether you're aware of them or not, now is the time to get that addressed. And it could be because someone's been prejudiced against you. Okay, that is a human brain. (laughs) So what is required here? Is it required us to change the way that we think? This is, this is not, and, and for allow, to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. If you try and change your prejudice through your own strength, you probably won't do it. This is a God thing. You have to let God change you from the inside out. So that's a human brain. The way that prejudice starts is when the reference point is me. And when the reference point is me, we don't see the person, we just see their difference to us. So... Think differently. And this isn't, a, this isn't one of those, you know, come on, buck yourself up. This isn't one of those kind of uh, mind courses where we can change ourselves by positive thinking. This is transformative spirit thinking. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm sure some of you already know it. I can, I'll, I'll cut to it. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how that we can get rid of prejudice. It's a supernatural thing. We, we have to allow our mind to be transformed and it can only be transformed by God himself. Then, we finish up with a situation like this. That God becomes a reference point. We don't see other people according to us as the central point. We see other people according to God as the reference point. When God in the, refer- the reference point, we just see the person. And this is the hard part. I'll finish with this. So it's Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 28. And I'll read uh, this to us and then we'll close. Luke 6, 27 and 28. These are hard words. We were talking in, in group this morning about how following Jesus isn't easy. It, it isn't easy. It was never meant to be easy. But we are equipped to change. We are equipped to follow. We are equipped to do more than hang on. We're equipped to advance. Thanks, Gail. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28 says this. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who ill-treat you. And this is, this is, just see the person is for those who are prejudiced. This is for if you've been hurt by someone else being prejudiced against you. Jesus, Jesus asks us, having been loved so much by him, can we love one way? I think that's one of the big questions of the Christian life. Jesus says it's easy to love someone who loves you. It's easy to be kind to someone who who, who is kind to you. But can you love someone who doesn't like you, who is your enemy, who has hurt you, who may have been prejudiced against you? 
This is what we are empowered to do only by the Holy Spirit. A one-way love. Okay, great. I am almost exactly on time. So I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to close there. If anyone's got any questions afterwards, I'm very happy to take them. Uh, thank you all for your attention, and I'll just finish to pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that by the power of your Spirit that you reveal in us any prejudice that we might have against others. Lord, we're sorry for the hurt that we may have caused. Lord, and maybe some in this room have been hurt by prejudice themselves, and I pray, Lord, that you would grant us, you would grant us something of yourself that supernaturally we would be able to forgive, that we would be able to love, that we would be able to be unkind, to be kind even when we ourselves have not been treated kindly. I pray, Lord, for a change in us so that we might become more like you, that we might become the fragrance of you with the people that we know so that they might come to know you and bring glory to your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.